I'm really excited about today. Um, this message is birthed out of a survey that we took for Easter where I asked you guys, what topics would you like to learn more about? Um, and what would you like for me to get God's word on to help you in your life? And really, one of the biggest things that we saw was people said, I'm tired. Anybody ever felt tired? Uh, and so really, the, the title of my message today is help. I'm exhausted. Anybody ever felt exhausted? You're like, woo, I'm sitting here. Some of you are watching from the house on the live stream because you've been exhausted. This message is for you. And so I'm really excited because I want to bring God's word to us to help us figure out how do we overcome this feeling of tiredness and exhaustion and live in the rest and the strength that God has for our life. Now, before we go into the scripture, we've got to address why we're feeling this way. Why are we always feeling so tired? And really, it's because we're stressed. Pastor Ashley talked about it last weekend. Didn't Pastor Ashley do a great job on the, <clears throat> I watched through the live stream and she just did a great job talking about stress. And that's the reality is we're stressed. I was going to bring you stats to show how stressed we are, but I thought the stats would stress you out. And so I just thought, no, you know you're stressed. I mean, no, I, I feel stressed. And then the problem with stress is stress is contagious. Uh, when parents are stressed, how many know your kids feel the stress? They're like, hey, stay away from mom. She's stressed out today. Stay away from dad. I mean, it just, it is pressed on to around the people. It's pushed onto the people that are around us, whether it's our kids or coworkers, family or friends. And what I found was interesting when doing this study on stress, the group that has the most increase in stress in their life just over the last couple of years are eight-year-olds to 14-year-olds. Isn't that amazing that our kids, tweens, and early teens are feeling the greatest increase of stress in their life? Now, we think some of that's technology, the connectedness to social media, the pressure to perform and to live this ulterior life. But I also think it's because parents are more stressed. Families are more stressed, and we don't really know how to cope with it, and so it's passed on down to our kids. And why are we all so stressed? Because we're so busy. Come on, how many are busy? Anybody looking for something to do? Like you, you want me to help you find some stuff to fill your time? You're like, no, 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 pastor here, take some of my stuff. Why? Because you're busy. And this is one that I can relate to. I mean, there's never a shortage of things to do, people to see, responsibilities to try to cover. I mean, we are busy. And as a society, we're busy. In fact, Americans, we've really become workaholics. Uh, the, there was a study that was done just over the last 15 years where the average work week in an American's life was 40 hours a week. Do you know now the studies show the average work week in an American's life is 47 hours a week? Now, that might not sound like a lot, but that's an entire day's worth of work that the average American is doing compared to just 10 or 15 years ago. That doesn't include technology. How I many you know when you get home, work doesn't always stop? I mean, you ever been in bed? It's like 9 o'clock, you're checking your social media, your Instagram, and all of a sudden your boss texts you. You're like, bro, that's, you text me. Why'd you text? And then now you're stressed out. You're like, I, I wanted to be away from work, and you find yourself trying to respond and reply, and though you're sitting in your bed trying to relax, you're still tethered to work by technology. And that's just work. We're not even including all the activities. We're busier with activities than we've ever been. Football games, cheerleading events, band, all the things that our kids are in, all the things that we try to be a part of. And so our lives are busy. And so when they're busy, what we result in is we see ourselves as being tired. Everybody say tired. I'm just tired, Pastor. I just, and, and I relate to this. Anybody ever felt tired? Some of you are sitting here right now, and you know what I'm talking about. I've had those days where I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anything. Like, no, I don't want to see. Nope, nope. They go, nope, nope, nope. Why? Because I'm, I'm just exhausted. And I find that many times being exhausted and tired, I tend to be hanging on by a thread. I've experienced that in my life. And we know that the issue is not the fact that we've got to get rid of busyness, that we'll ever get rid of stress, that we'll ever get rid of exhaustion. The issue is the absence of rest. I mean, no life is ever going to be perfect. I mean, we're going to feel stress. I mean, we're going to have seasons where we're busy. 
We're going to have those moments where we feel tired. But the truth is we never learn how to rest so our life never fully works. And so I want to show us this morning how God offers us a rest that supersedes all those other things. We're going to go into Psalms 127 verse 2. It's where we want to start this morning. Psalm 127, verse 2, it says, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late night. How many have ever felt like that? I'm working early morning, late night. Look, he's saying it's useless. Anxiously working for food to eat. You're just busy doing the rat race of life. He said, for God gives rest to the ones he loves. Isn't that awesome? That God loves us. And the Bible says that God gives us rest, but here's the sad thing. You can be a follower of Christ. You can believe that God gives rest to those who love. You can know that God wants to give you rest and still never experience the rest that God has for your life. I mean, no, that's a tragedy. Look at what it says in Hebrews 4.1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So look, he's promised, uh, you can enter into the rest. That's, that's a promise that still stands for us. It says, so we ought to tremble with fear. Why am I going to tremble with fear? Because of this. Some of you might fail to experience it. So think about it. God's got rest. He's got it available to each and every one of us. And the fearful thing, the thing that we should, would, would, would want against is the fact that we would never experience the rest that God has for each and every one of our lives. And so I want to help make sure that we don't miss it, that we don't live through this life stressed out, anxious, tired, worried, fatigued all the time. I want to help us understand what God's rest really is. And the first thing you've got to know is rest is deeper than sleep. Rest is deeper than sleep. Sleep's important, but sleep alone doesn't produce rest. How I many know you could sleep all night and still not rest? How I many have ever slept all night? You laid in bed all night, but you tossed and you turned and your mind wouldn't shut off and you're nervous and you're anxious. See, it's not about the quantity of laying in bed. It's about the quality of rest that God provides. Sleep is not rest. I know sometimes, have you ever been to bed and you're like, man, I've got 12 hours of sleep today. You go lay in bed and you wake up and you're like, man, I am still tired. Like I slept it, I laid it, but it's something about, I just, I don't want to get out of bed. Maybe that's some depression. You're like, I just don't want to face today. Sleep's not rest. Second thing is rest is more than time off. It's not about just getting time off. I know many of us, look, you're thinking about the weekends. Think about it, Friday. Man, I'm waiting for Friday night. Come on, somebody. It's going to be amazing. So you get through the work week. You get to Friday night. And the problem is now that you've done someone else's work, you've got to be busy with doing your work. You know that laundry that piled up all week that you didn't touch because you were tired Monday, you were tired Tuesday, you were tired Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, guess what? Saturday, that mountain of laundry still has your name on it. And if you want your kids to have some clean clothes, how many know you got to tackle that laundry? You're busy chauffeur. Oh, I got an amen from a mama out there. It says, come on, pasta. You know, you're out there chauffeuring kids and you're doing all the extracurricular sports. Men, you're out there cutting the grass. You don't want to, but you got to unless you're going to move to the jungle, right? You got to do the honeydew list. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Cleaning house. And so here's the problem with the mentality of thinking rest is just time off. You get to Sunday night and now not only have you gone through the weekend, but you're more exhausted than when you went into the weekend. And you got to go to another week. And you wake up on Monday, you're like, oh, my God. And the cycle continues week after week, month after month, and year after year. And then you're exhausted, you're tired, and you think, I got it. Listen, here's the key. We're going to get a vacation. My family says, vacaciones. Like, that's what we're doing. And so you plan the week out. You book the time. You spend the thousands and thousands of dollars. And you get your family all excited. You go on vacation. And if you got kids, how many know vacation is not about you? If you're single, baby, enjoy it, love it, but it's going to end, and when it does, it is a sad, sad day, because it is not about you anymore. It's about those kids. You're an unappreciated, unpaid travel agent. Like, where would you like to go? 
I mean, anybody ever been to Disney? Come on, so it's like Disney. It's like, why would you even do it? That's the dumbest thing in the world. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. I'm going to go till 1 a.m. And I'm going to do everything I can because I paid all these thousands of dollars. How many have ever needed a vacation from your vacation? Yeah. It was like, whoosh. Oh, God. You're, everybody's like, oh, you ought to be rested. You're like, I'm going to kill. Like, what are you talking about? I got kids. Why? Because time off is not rest. See, we think it's, that's the carrot that's dangled in front of us. Look, rest is better than escape. There's a problem that's taking place in America today. It's, it's an epidemic called escapism. And what we do, and here's the actual definition, is it's a distraction and a relief from present reality. And so our life is so busy and it's so stressed out and we're feeling all these emotions that we want to exit the reality we live in. We want, to, we want to escape and go to someone else's reality. We're looking for a way to detach from what we're faced with in our lives. This is why we see the opioid epidemic so strong. This is why we see the abuse of drugs and alcohol as heavy as it is. Why people are trying to escape the reality that they're living their life in. It's not even just drugs, pornography. Look, pornography is not just about lust. Pornography is about escaping the world that I'm faced with right now. And look, you can have all those addictions. You say, all oh, those things are bad. But can I tell you, social media is a form of escape? I didn't get too many amens there. That's okay. Instagram is a form of escape. And, and how many know you could just go to one thing? You're like, well, did I get 50 likes or 52 likes? Oh, my God, they only liked it 26 likes. Something's wrong with me. And so you're trying to get this high from social media, and you go from one place to the next. How many have ever just said, I'm going to check it, and then an hour and a half later... You're like, how did I get here? Oh, my God, my kids need to be picked up. Oh, my God, I got to make dinner. Oh, my God. you know. And so we find ourselves escaping in the reality of this world that is a virtual world. I mean, think about binging on YouTube. Young, young kids, they don't even do Netflix. It's YouTube. My kids are like, we hate Netflix. That's for old people. They binge on YouTube. See, you're getting old. But, but how many know you can binge on Netflix? How many have spent an hour? Come on, you know you're out there. And you, no, 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 not on the binge. An hour just trying to watch to look for something to binge. You're like, God, that's stupid. That's stupid. That's stupid. Well, that's rated M-A. My God, they're all M-A. My God, is there a good something? I just want to binge. And then two or three hours later, you finally find Matlock rerun or something. You know, <laughs> Murder, She Wrote. You find something that you go back and you binge on, and why? It's, it's simply this, listen, it's escapism. I'm trying to escape the present reality that I'm faced with, and I just want relief. But escapism leaves us empty. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. This, this is some of us in here. Are you tired? Anybody tired? You worn out? I mean, think about that. So the Bible's talking to us right here. Look, you're tired, you're worn out, you're burned out on religion. You could be burned out on just doing the right thing. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Everybody say real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's probably one of my greatest phrases. This is out of the Message Bible. I don't think we're called uh, to, to have balance in life. I don't know that you can, if someone's trying to have perfect balance in your life, I don't know that that's how life works. I think what we gotta do is find the rhythm of my life. I just have found there's always something that's out of balance. Look, when you got a young uh, married couple that's about to have a baby and they have their baby, how many know there is nothing about that baby that's in balance. Waking up at 3 a.m. and who's taking the feeding now and your life is like, man, I got to work, I got church, and then I got this baby. And it's a project. It's like, my God, it's, it's a little out of balance. Think about school and someone who's in, in college. You work because you need to. You have family, but you better study hours and hours and be like, well, I just want balance. No, baby, you better study so you don't have to repeat the courses so you can get an education to do what God has placed in your life. It's not about balance. It's about rhythm, an unforced rhythm of life, rhythm of life. Since I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So I love that, that here we are. If we will go to God daily, we'll receive the rest that he has 
for us. And here's what's interesting about rest. Rest is not something you can store up in reserves. Like I know you got a bank account, you can store up money. Rest doesn't work like that. Rest requires demand daily from God. You can't just say, oh, I spend an, I spend an hour God, with God today, so tomorrow I should be good. No, no, your hour with God today, your 30 minutes with God today, your 20 minutes with God today will sustain you for today, but now you gotta go back tomorrow for tomorrow's rest that God wants to give you for that day. It's a daily dose. It's this daily on demand of what God wants to give us. So with this promise from God, the question that I'm asking is how do we experience it? How do we experience this promise? I got an amen right there. Come on. I'm going to tell you how to experience it. Look, we rest in salvation. Now, let me help you with this. Resting in salvation, and I want to, with this, go a little bit deeper theologically. So track with me on this. I'm going to get to something practical in just a second. But salvation is amazing because it saves us from hell. Right, That's the beauty of salvation, that we're rescued from what we deserve, which is hell because of our sin. We know Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the result of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. We know that God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that what he sent his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That is salvation. Salvation secures our eternity in heaven with Jesus. But salvation is not just about eternity in heaven. And this is what I want you to understand. Salvation actually has benefits for us as Christians right now. We don't have to just wait till heaven. There are things that God wants to give us in our life right now. Now, before I can go further in that, I want you to know this, and you should know, is that salvation cannot be earned. Does everybody know that? Like you cannot work hard enough to deserve or to earn the salvation that God gives us in our life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we have been saved by grace through faith. It's a, it's a gift from God, not of works, so that no one should boast. How many know you can't work for a gift? God gives us his gift. It's not by works. And just as we cannot work for salvation, I want you to get this because I'm going somewhere. You cannot work for the benefits of salvation. It's a total package. You didn't just get part of it at one time. Like I receive salvation, and the same way I receive salvation is the same way I get to receive the benefits of salvation. Look at Hebrews 4. This is going to make a little more sense. This is Paul, and he's paralleling the story of the children of Israel and their lack of faith in them entering into the promised land. And so here's what it says in verse 2. It says, for this good news that God has prepared this rest, so God's prepared a rest, everybody say rest, has been announced to us just as it was with them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith. So in other words, God has a rest. God has salvation. It's for all mankind, for anyone who would believe, but it comes through faith. Everybody say faith. It's how we enter. And he says, of those who listen to God, for we for only we who believe can enter into that rest. So, pastor, what are you saying? If you're not a Christian, you can't enter into God's supernatural rest. It's for believers. It's for those who have put their faith in Christ, those who have had a salvation experience. It's something that is supernatural, and just as salvation is supernatural through faith, the benefits of salvation are supernatural through faith as well. So it can't be earned, it can only be received. And if you have a relationship with Christ, if you've had that salvation moment, the beautiful thing is you have access to God's rest. I mean, no, that's a good thing this morning that I have access to God's rest. Many of us are saved, but here's the tragedy is that we live like someone who is drowning. So we're saved. But we're living like so, someone who's drowning. Has anybody seen someone who's drowning? Someone drowning, they start to struggle, start to kick, they start to scream. They're, they're, they're up there in the water and they're, they're, they're struggling. And, and what we see, and I actually took a lifeguard class uh, from the YMCA when I was on staff there. And what was very interesting, they said 
in the glass, if you start to see someone struggling, who's drowning, who's kicking, who's screaming, who's doing all those things, don't go rescue them. So get close to them. Be ready, but if you go rescue that person who is striving and struggling and kicking and yelling, what will happen is not only will that person drown, but they will drown you as well. The only way to rescue them is to tell them to stop. They have to stop screaming, stop struggling, stop kicking, stop striving, stop yelling, and just stop and be ready to be rescued. I think some of you this morning, you find yourself in that same spot. You're drowning. And in your life, you've been striving. You've been struggling. You've been talking to God. You've been kicking at God. You've been yelling at God. You've been mad. And God's like, listen, I got it. I'm here to rescue you, but I need you to stop. We have to stop trying to do it on our own and allow God to rescue us in our life. And here's the practical side. He goes on in Hebrews and he talks about it. He says, as for others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. So those who have not experienced salvation, it's not, they're not going to enter into the rest of God. It says, even though this rest has been ready since the, he made the world, so since the foundation of the world, this rest has been ready for everyone they will never experience this. As we know it is ready because of the place in Scripture where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. So here we see Paul. He's going to point us to Genesis chapter 1 as an example of how to experience the rest that God has for us. Now, if you know the story of creation that's found in Genesis chapter one, God created the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh. And every day for the first five days when creation was completed, when he was done, he would say, it is good. But at the completion of the sixth day, when all of creation was finished, God said something different. He said, it is very good. Now, when you translate that, what he says there is, I am completely satisfied. So he looks at his creation and he says, what I created is amazing. But not only is it amazing, listen, right here, it's perfect. So now when we translate what Paul was saying and we put and apply that to our life, here's what Paul's saying. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, pastor, in my life right now, like I'm doing good, but I don't have my stuff together. I still have hurts, habits, hangups. I might even have addictions. There's no way that God is saying my life is perfect. And what I want you to know is the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when God looks at your life, he looks at you as being perfect. He is completely satisfied, and this will change you because, look, you say, but, but my life's not perfect. Yeah, but when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you. He is looking through the filter of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is perfect, and so he looks at you through his son, and he says, perfection, perfection, perfection. I am completely satisfied, so I don't have to strive to perform or to become someone else. God says, you are already perfect perfect. It's the rest of God that we get to receive as a benefit of salvation. And it's available to each and every one. So I'm, I'm used sitting out there. This pastor is great. I told you a little bit of theology. How do I practically begin to enter into what you're saying? Look, we enter through repentance and remain through relationship. My mom taught me a long time ago. I was raised in church. Didn't always live for God, but I was raised in church. And I remember I was like, Mom, what do I do in my life when I'm struggling in an area? Maybe it's an addiction or maybe it's just, you know, the way I respond to people. Whatever it is. I mean, some of you are addicted to fear, anxiety. It ain't got to always be something like alcohol and drugs and barn. I mean, it's just, it's in these areas. And here's what I would say. I'd say, Mom, I just, I don't know how to change it. She said, baby, you don't, you don't even have to. I said, but what do I have to do? And she'd say, all God asks us to do is just repent. 
What does that mean? That means I'm changing my focus. That means I recognize, God, I can't do it on my own. God, here I am. I have been striving. I have been struggling. I've been kicking. I've been complaining. I've been trying to put my life in order. And what I realize is the more I struggle, the more I drown. But if in this moment I say, God, I can't do it anymore, I repent of trying to do it on my own. But I know that there's a God in heaven, and his super can be on top of my natural, and I can rest in that. So I repent of me trying to do it, me trying to struggle, me. And God, I, I repent. I can't do it. So I recognize I can't do it alone. And then that's where the relationship comes into our life. In our relationship with God, it's not just one dab will do. You can't just come on a Sunday and say, fill me up. It's going to last all week. No, baby. It's going to end tomorrow morning when you get up at 5 a.m. You're going to say, I'm dry. And God's like, I know that. That's why it's a relationship. If you'll come to me, I'll fill you up so that you can go through the day and get the rest that you need. And look, I, I know sometimes it's like, Pastor, it's hard to pray. It's hard to read my Bible every day. It's hard to listen to worship, and it's hard to, to do the spiritual disciplines that God, if you're a Christian, it's not even an option. God requires that of us. That's what a relationship is. You can't have a relationship if I don't spend time. And I, I get it. Look, I'm a pastor. Can I tell you, it's still hard. I mean, it never gets easy. It gets easier, but I mean, we have a flesh. This is what I've learned. I'm either gonna pay through the discipline of spending time with God or I'm gonna pay through the stress of the life I live. But I'm gonna pay either way. And so I've just learned, look, I wanna pay on the front end. And it's not even a struggle. It's like, God, I get to spend time with you. God, I get to read your word. God, I get to have a relationship. And here's what I say. I'm telling you, I feel stress all the time. This weekend was a crazy weekend. We did the, I came in late because of the weather. I'm out of town and y'all decide to have another storm. Like what in the world? Stuck in Alabama, didn't get home till midnight. We have a graduation. And this is what I tell God. God, I can't do it on my own today. I need your grace. I need your rest. I've been moving. Things have been happening. But here's what I know. It's not about inactivity. It's about receiving your super on top of my natural. So God, today, I just need more of your grace. I need your rest. And that's the daily discipline of the relationship that we have in our life with God. And here's the second thing. Another practical thing. We rest by keeping Sabbath. We rest by keeping Sabbath. He said on the seventh day, God rested from his work. It's really a model for us, really an example for us to, to understand. Now, I know some of you thinking, Pastor, I've tried to do this and it's impossible. You're just another person that's going to tell me that I need to take a whole day and do nothing. No, that's not what I'm going to tell you. I want us to get what God's word says on it because the truth is the more I've studied this out, that's not even biblical. Let me share with you the principle of what a Sabbath really looks like in our life. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. So this is a law that God is instituting with the Israelites. Now, it's important to understand God legislates in the Old Testament through the Old Covenant his law. And the law is what people would say that the, the New Testament says is burdensome because it's like these rules and these regulations. And it's how God established what the people of Israel were supposed to do, his people. And so he says, I want you to keep it holy. Six days you're going to work and do all your work. And on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. When you understand the context, the Israelites just came out of slavery. So they, bless you, they only knew slavery. Now, if you're a slave, how many know your boss ain't giving you a day off? It is seven days a week, sun up to sun down. So they had gone through generations of slavery. So here's what they understood. Everything in my life depends on me. So God institutes a law that says, listen, that's how you lived, but that's not how I want you to live. That was in the past. This is the way I want you to form your life moving forward. So he legislates a law that you will take one day off. Why? Because he wanted to prove that God had their lives in his hands. They didn't have to produce all the time for God to do what God was going to do. And so it was a law that was established. Now fast forward to the New Testament, the New Covenant, post-Jesus. We're not under the law. We're under the New Covenant. And so look at Hebrews chapter 4 says... Verse 9, it says, there remains then a Sabbath rest. Not a Sabbath law, a rest for the people of God. So look, it's not a law, but it is an offer. It's an offer for God's people to enter into the same 
rest that the people of God entered into in the old covenant. So it worked for them. He's saying, look, it'll work for you. And in my mind, what I always thought was, I'm just, man, my Sabbath, it ain't a Sabbath unless I'm laying on the couch all day long. Don't even talk to me, Phyllis. I'm laying, right? I'm in the bed. Like, that's my Sabbath. And that's just not really the biblical perspective. Really what it's saying in a Sabbath is you don't do what you normally do to produce for your life. So if you're a realtor, you don't sell houses on Sunday or whatever your Sabbath is. Like, I'm going to take a day that I don't do what I do to produce. You with me? If you work construction, it's like I'm taking the day off. I'm, no, I'm not going to produce my living on that seventh day. But it doesn't mean inactivity. In fact, the Jewish people, when you studied out, this was a day they looked forward to, not because they laid around, but because they found so much joy in what they did, that it wasn't about producing for themselves. This was a day that produced for God. And so amazing thing about the Jewish people, they, the Sabbath required three areas. It's body, soul, and spirit. So your body is physical, your soul is your mind, will, and emotion, and your spirit is what's connected to God. So on a Sabbath, what Jewish people understand is I'm not spending all day with my body resting, laying in a bed. I'm going to find a moment on a day where I experience physical rest. Like for me, you want to know what it is? It's Sunday. When I leave here, I go home, and man, you know what I do? I take a nap, and let me tell you, a guilt-free baby. Like, I just take that to the, the guilt-free nap on Sunday. Why? Because I want to rest my body. That's the day that I'm going to find a moment. Everybody say moment of rest. Now, if I take a nap on Saturday, Phyllis is giving me the stink eye. She's like, what are you doing? We got stuff that you got to fix. Like, where's your honey do? When we have projects. I want to go ride a bike. I'm like, well, good. You ride a bike, and I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> No, it's a moment of rest. Why? Because I'm going to rest my soul. That's what Sabbath rest does, or my body. That's what Sabbath rest does. Second thing is my soul. Now, it's interesting. Jewish people, the way they rested their soul for many of them was they loved to eat good food with lots of great people. Woo! Come on, somebody. We can do that all day long. Get us some good food. And so what they felt was, look, if I'm enjoying my time with people that I love, it's refueling me emotionally. It's recharging me and my energy being around people that I love. That's one of the reasons why I love small group. Listen, you can Sabbath every day of the week when you're with your small group. Come on, somebody, go get you some coffee, go eat some dinner. We had a group of people yesterday, and I just found out that some of them were my staff. They took about 12 or 15. They went skydiving. Like, listen, that ain't refreshing my so at all. You jump out that nice plane all you want, I'm going to stay on the ground and watch and pray. Lord Jesus, please. <laughs> what are they doing? They're just spending time with Pete. It's a Sabbath moment throughout the day where they're being recharged. And think about your spirit. Sabbath day should include a recharge in your spirit. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship, spend time with God, spend time with people of God. And I'm going to allow myself to be recharged in this moment of Sabbath. And so I get it. Some of you are like, I can't take a full day. We'll just start with those moments. And then see what God will do in your life because it's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Are you with me? Spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Now, I, you know, as we've learned to refuel our lives in the Sabbath, I, I love an example that everyone here will know. Anybody like and love Chick-fil-A? I love court. You know, those guys at Chick-fil-A and Man, get some holy chicken. I hate to talk about Chick-fil-A on Sundays because you leave here and you can't get no chicken. You're like, I, I, love, I love the principle, but I want some chicken, baby. Come on, open up for me on Sunday. But I love what the Truett family decided. And I remember Chick-fil-A when I was young. They were in all the malls. Now they got these freestanding buildings. But it would be amazing. The malls are open, and they would literally close their doors on Sundays and pay a fine. Why would a company pay a fine to take a day off? Because they understand the principle of Sabbath, that even their employees will work better, work harder, be stronger, last longer, if you allow them to refresh and refuel and recharge their lives. And so they even tell them, listen, we, we encourage you to go to church. Why? Because they need their spirits refueled and recharged. And so it's a principle. And then look at what God's done. I mean, holy chicken, I mean, you you can have haters all you want, but Chick-fil-A is the bomb.com. Like, I mean, everybody loves them. And here's another thing. Listen, listen to this. They have some of the happiest employees that you'll ever. You think that's an accident? Their souls have been recharged. It's a biblical principle. 
And so this is what we have to do as believers. We've got to find moments in our week to recharge and Sabbath in our life. Now, I'm going to close right now, and I, I just want to share something that's really been on my heart. And really the crux of this message, even before you asked for it, um, you know, there have been people that are close to me, people that I've heard about that are feeling tired, exhausted, burned out. I mean, how many have ever felt burned out? I mean, I want you to know I've felt burned out. And so I've been vexed. I've been probably for the last six weeks working like, God, give me messages and just give me something that I can speak practically to your people. And last week I was with my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges. Many of you know him through video curriculum and different things we do. And sitting across the table from him and just, just love him so much. And we were just talking. I didn't tell him what I was talking about, but he said some words to me that shifted my life. And really, this is what I want to share. I want to share some of his thoughts with us this morning. And it's the last thing. It's order determines capacity. He literally was sitting across and he didn't know what I was talking about. And you're dealing with people being overwhelmed and stressed and fatigued and, and burned out. And he said these words. And I said, Pastor Chris, will you just unpack that thought for me a little bit more? And, you know, he was just going on to people try to do everything. Like instead of saying no to the right stuff and yes to the right stuff, we just say yes. Yes. Well, you don't really say yes, but you don't say no. And so then how many know if I don't manage my priorities, other people will? Like they don't care about your life. They want you to do what's important to them. And he said, so we get busy doing all these different things. And he said, the challenge is just because it's urgent doesn't mean it's important. And so we find ourselves, have you ever been, somebody text you, they're like, I got to talk right now. Like, I'm in the movies. Can we just talk? I'm in the movies. Okay, I'm coming out. You get out and you call them and you're like, that's what, you, I'm watching a movie that I paid $5,000 to watch because it's so expensive <laughs> with my family. And you pulled me out to ask if you can get a ride to church tomorrow, bro. Come on, somebody. Right, it's, it was urgent to them, yeah. important to them. And now you allowed their urgency to be caused to be your important and move you out of what you were enjoying in that moment. And so just because it's urgent doesn't mean it's important. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You can do a lot of things. Lots of things you can do. Doesn't mean you ought to do it. And so he's just saying, look, order determines capacity. And what we understand is it's not about knowing just what to do, but making sure you know the order in which to do it. Is it? So you can still know what to do, but I got to know the order with which I should do it so that it's the most effective in my life. We see a principle in Matthew 6, 31. Look at this. I'm going to close with this scripture. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things. And that's basic. You know what he's saying is the basic necessities of life, the pagans that don't know God, they pursue those things. They run the rat race of life. Can I put food on my table? Can I make sure I got clothes for my kids? Can I make sure we got stuff to drink? They're running this rat race of life. And God's saying, listen, don't focus on the rat race, focus on me. Look. He says, your heavenly father already knows that you need those things. He already knows. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So what's he saying? If you'll seek God first, make him the priority of your life, then everything else will fall into place. Look, bring out this illustration for me. I want them to bring this out. I, uh, I want you to see this because it's very, very powerful and I think more than just a few words to close, I think some of you are going to have an aha moment. No, go up to the front. There you go. Can you guys give these guys a hand, these fine gentlemen right here? Is it straight? Come on. There you go. They, uh, okay, my wife said, you better make sure it's straight because we drive people crazy. <laughs> I didn't mean to throw you under the bus. Well, I kind of did. <laughs> Change your, change your life. Listen, order determines capacity. And so, look, this, this jar, this vase, this really determines our lives. This is, this is an example of our life. And every life has a certain amount of capacity. You only have so many hours in the day, so much energy to give, so much time. I mean, so this is the capacity of your life. And these, these little rocks right here, they represent all the things that fill our lives. Name some things that fill your life. Email, yeah, give me some phone calls, small groups, sleep, yeah, soccer, 
laundry, woo, lots of laundry, cleaning house, social media, Facebook. So it's all these things that we got to get done in life. So you guys are laughing, so everybody must have shouted some crazy things. They, so here are things in our life, right? Well, these rocks represent the big things in our life, the things we really value, the things that are the most important. And no matter how many things we have, there will always be things of greater value. And so, you know, you put the, the things that value, we value God. How I many know God should be first? And really, when you assess the values through a Christian lens, the, the value and the priority of life should be God, family, church, work, or school. If you're a student, you wouldn't work, you'd be in school. So God, family, church, work or school. You with me? Those are the big priorities in your life. And so you got God in my life. I got all these other things. And then I'm, I'm doing some things with family, but oh my God, family doesn't really fit. And so I, I was spending time with God, but God, I got to change that because I got to do things for my family. And then what we tend to do is we'll take God out because my family needs me to pack lunches. Come on, somebody. That's a for real deal right there. You don't get any realer than that. Packing lunches. So, God, I can't really get up early and I can't stay up late because I'm exhausted and tired. I'm trying to put you in. And then last, we'll put in church. You're like, well, pastor, that's why I make it once a month because I'm too busy. I'm not saying you're not doing stuff. You're doing a lot of stuff. I mean, you're busy. Here's the challenge with that. This is why you're feeling stressed out. You know there are some things that have value in your life, but you can't seem to fit it all in. And so your prayer to God is, God, give me more time. God, give me more money. God, give me more resources so that I can fix this. And God says, I've already given you everything you need to fit all of your life into the capacity that I have already given you. And so we're stressed out. We get burned out. Why? Because it's not fitting. You go to bed, you got anxiety, you're worried, you're nervous, your family, your church. You're letting everybody down because you can't do anything right. And so then what we see here, what if we did a switchover? Remember, order determines capacity. So then we say, well, listen, we know the foundation. Listen, you cannot have supernatural rest if God is not number one. He's not just going to be on your list. He has to be at the top of your list. Some of you are convinced, I can do it on my own. I can go to church. Listen, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you show up occasionally. But until God is number one, nothing I talked about today works. And so we say, God, I'm going to do it. From this moment on, I'm going to put God first. So we get up and we pray. It's hard. You don't always feel God. But I know that if I'm faithful, I'm going to have some breakthrough. I pray, worship. I'm not talking hours. Why don't you just start off with 20 minutes? Why don't we start off with 10 minutes? Get a month of 10 minutes and then go to 15 minutes. And then whatever it is, start somewhere but make God the priority. Okay, so now God is the priority. Now family is going to be the priority. And someone will say, well, I thought it was church. No, baby, what good is it for us to save the world and lose our families? I think that's what's happened in the past. I don't want to be a minister where my kids hate me. My win in life will be that my kids love God and they love me. If I can do that, I have done my life well. And so it's like we passed our family. So listen, it's not always... It's not always just quantity to its quality. I'm going to make them a priority. How do you make them a priority? Look, my life is busy just like your life is busy. But what that means is here's just a way that I do with my family. I leave the office at 530 every day. I get home and have dinner with my family every night. Tuesday nights, except four nights out of the week. They're my work week. I don't care who calls. You can ask Phyllis. I don't care who shows up in my office. There are probably on her hand how many times I said I'm going to be late. I just get home and I'm spending time with my family. And I make sure that I look my kids eyeball to eyeball. I can't be there all day. Can't pick them up from school. But I'm going to have dinner with my family. Why? Because they're a priority. It's just that simple. And then at dinner, we actually connect. We don't put phones on the table. We do those cards where you ask questions, silly questions. You know, what superhero would you want to be? What superpower would you want to have? And we try to get into each other's life. It's about making family a priority because if I can't gain the heart of my family, I can't lead my family to God. And that's what parents are called to do. See, you're the one that's the foundation of your family. You fall in love with Jesus. You pastor your kids. And then guess what? They're going to want to come to church. And it's like, wow, okay, we'll go to church. And then, so, so here's the thing, and, and I've, I've seen this. We've been doing this church six and a half years, and 
I've seen people say, well, I gotta protect my family from the church. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta separate it. Can I tell you? The church is not a place where we go. We are the church. It's not an event on the calendar. It's not a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or prayer. Like, we're the church. So someone said, well, how often should I go to church? Every time the doors are open, we ought to be in church. Well, that's fanatical. Yeah, but do we want to live the life that God's called us to live? Not for ourselves, but fully committed to him, living in a way that we're changing the world. We only do that as a church. Come to Wednesday nights and Saturday morning prayer and, and outreach day. And here's what Phyllis and I made a commitment. You know, we had pastors in our life, Pastor Chris and Pastor Vinny Perez. And, and the thing that everyone will tell you that has their family apart, we don't separate family from church. We are the church. That means if I go to prayer, my whole family comes to prayer. When I go to First Wednesday, my whole family goes to First Wednesday. When I go to outreach, my whole family goes to outreach. Why? Because we're doing it together. That's why I pray. Listen, I don't care. You can complain all day long. You're going to have kids coloring. You're going to have kids doing the Indian dance and running. Woo! Why don't you tell them to shut up? No, I'm not telling them to shut up. They're in the house of God. Their families are here. I want to expose them to God. We do this together. That's where what we have to realize is it's a tactic of the enemy. to say, well, I'm going to protect them from church. No, but we do it together. We do, well, because it's a priority. When I capture their heart, we do this together. We engage in the work of God. See, you have to remember, and listen, I'm just talking to Christians now. Your life doesn't belong to you. The moment you were saved, there was an exchange. You see, remember, just remember. Don't do this. Hold on. Hold on. Don't. I was strung out on drugs. 12, 30. In a bathroom at night. Had been up for five days. About to go out. I believe with all my heart, had I gone out that night, I would have died and went to hell. God showed up in my bathroom. Saved me. Don't, don't clap. That's the life I exchanged. Yeah. See, the problem is some of you are still holding on to your lives. There was an exchange, but you took it back. So you try to protect from the very thing that will save you and fix the mess that your life is in, your family is in. It's a lie of the enemy. I exchanged my mess. And so, God, if you want me at church on first Wednesday, I'm going to be there. You want me at church on Sunday, it ain't even an option. Like, it is not. I tell my kids, if you have a sport on a Wednesday night, baby, we do youth on Wednesday night. I've told them no, because that, foot, look, football ain't going to save your child. There is one that will save your child, and his name is Jesus. And here's the problem. We protect our families from this and the very thing that would save our kids. The answer. I've never had a parent say, I wish I'd have put my kids in football. I have tons of parents that had their kids grow up, strung out on drugs, pregnant, out of church, no longer around saying, I wish I would have put them in church more. Had them in the house of God more. Been more engaged. Why? Because that's the pride. You can't get it out. And of course, you got to work. Everybody's got to work. But I refuse to let my work get me out of my values. This is the priority. And listen, I'm speaking prophetically here. If some of you have to change jobs to get off on a Sunday, you got to change jobs. That job is not going to bless your family. You get your life wrapped around church. And you ask God, God, give me a job. I promise you God will get you a better job than you ever had. Why? Because he knows the principle. And then check this out. Order, this is what my pastor said. Order determines capacity. So now you do all the things. Look, I'm not telling you get off social media. You get on there. I'm not on there much anymore. I'm just tired of feeling bad about my life. Everybody's got perfect marriages and families and churches. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I never feel better. So I, our team does it now. I'm like, y'all have it. Feel better on my life, whatever. <laughs> do all the things. Cut grass, go work out, do all the things. God's not saying you can't do them. But look, look at this. Here's Burned out, overwhelmed, 
exhausted, stressed, can't sleep. And here, I, I want you to know, some of you have physical illnesses because your life has been like this. And God said, if you will get it, look, here's the beautiful thing. There is room for more. And I just want to close. I just, I just think some of you got it. That God, and, and I will tell you, listen, it's not easy. It's not, what I'm telling you, it's not easy. Making God first, not easy. Putting your family first. You know, you, we tend to all feel like we're failing. Anybody ever feel like you're failing? I'm like, my God, I'm a failure. Then my kids go somewhere else. They're like, they're perfect angels. I'm like, well, they're the devil at the house. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, they're all angels. Praise God. And in church, that's, don't you see that's why the devil wants to pull you out of church? Get offended by Sister Wonderful and Brother Awesome. and Why? Because he wants you out of the very culture that God has called us to infuse. Because, listen, we will never reach Rosenberg and Richmond and Fort Bend County. And this community, I believe, I've already seen a vision of what the, we hadn't even touched the surface. I'm not in a hurry. I want to do it healthy. I'm not rushing it, but I've already seen it. We can't get there until we get here. And when we get here, the world's going to be hungry for what we got. Bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to pray over you this morning. I feel like God has really spoken to some of you very clearly, doing a work in your life. And I think it's important for us to remember the first part is just repentance. Just break it down real practical, just Pastor, what do you mean? Just, just tell God I'm sorry. I, it freed me when my mom told me that years ago as a teenager. Something clicked on the inside. I just recognized, because I, I tried to change it myself. But the one thing I'd never done was repent and ask God to forgive me and let him put the desire in me to change me. And that's the first step for some of you. Just, God, I'm sorry. I got my life out of order. I'm sitting here this morning, and I rec recognize my life hasn't been in the right order. But what I know is that you forgive me. You cleanse my sins and wash them away. And then just begin to ask him. Say, God, now I need your grace because it's going to be some work. That means you need to set your alarm 15 minutes early and actually get up. I love praying at the end of the day and the middle of the day. There's nothing about like putting God first. I like the first 15. Do five minutes of worship, five minutes of reading your Bible, and five minutes of praying, just 15 minutes a day. Just, okay, God, I'm going to start there. I think God honors that. Something special about when you begin to make moves to put him first. So you just say, God, I want to do that. Maybe it's your family. Maybe God's first and church has been there, but everything else has filled it up and You've neglected your family. Well, don't blame the church. Don't blame people. Just let's own it. I mean, I remember three years ago, I came to my family. I launched this church. Hardest thing I ever did in my life. Phyllis told me, she said, our life is out of alignment. I need you to spend more time. And I remember at first I was mad. I'm a good dad. She said, I didn't say you were a good dad. She said, I'm telling you, you're not spending your time where it needs to be. Ah, we were in counseling. Fix her. Anybody ever come on? Fix her. She's the problem. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, she is speaking on behalf of me. So I changed my whole schedule. From that, it was three years ago. Two and a half years ago, I said, I will be home four nights out of the week at 5.30, and we will eat dinner with our family. But it's not just the time, it's the quality of time. Some of you just need to repent of that. Some of you, it's church. You protected your family from church. You thought, well, it was the church. No, 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 it's not church. We just got to grab the heart of our family and engage our family in the church. We are the church.